Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is Friday, the 7th of February, 2020. This is the second hour, so if you missed the first hour, you can go back later today and pick up the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. So sometimes a song just grabs you. Um, have you experienced that? Have you experienced just sort of being sort of, you know, stopped in your spiritual tracks by a song? Uh, you're cruising along through life, you're minding your own business, and wham, a song. Uh, the tune, the lyrics of a song, like cry out to your heart or cut you to the heart. So I had that experience recently with a very old hymn. And it's a song that I have long loved. In fact, it's a song um, that we sang. I mean, not just we, but collectively as the whole congregation sang at our wedding. Um, And it's called Be Thou My Vision. And the lyrics invite God to open our eyes and our minds and our heart to his counsel, and more than that, to then become the one in whom we dwell, that we would begin to see things um, through God's perspective, that the eternal would be brought to bear every day. So here's, here are the words. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be my best thought, By day and by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee, one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall. Still be my vision, O ruler of all. As you survey the day ahead, I invite you to let your life song sing. And if you're looking for one, consider inviting God to be your vision, uh, to be your wisdom, to be your heart's cry, to be your king, to be your joy, your very worldview, your hiding place, and your eternal home. We'll be right back. That's the walk-up music for our friend Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can find him at Plugged In.
com. Adam, welcome back. Always good to talk to you on a Friday morning, Carmen. So fun, right? It's fantastic Friday. Yes. I don't know. For you, it's probably like new release movie Friday. Um, yeah. So let's do one. Let's just do one and let's dispense with it quickly. What yeah. is new out this weekend um, and what's your take on it? Well, there's not much. We have Birds of Prey, which, of course, is Margot Robbie reprising her role as Harley Quinn, who was Joker's girlfriend in Suicide Squad a couple of years ago. Uh, and now she's back in her own R-rated anti-hero action flick. And there's a lot of action here. Uh, if you squint just right and you concentrate really hard, there are flickers of an empowerment message for women. But, I mean, it's all draped with so much profanity and mm -hmm. violence. Um, and I know I, I don't want to just sound like a ranting old man saying get off my yard. But um, this was a movie that everything that earned it an R rating didn't add anything to the story. And not, not, I'm not trying to say that there's, you know, ever a justifiable argument for gratuitous content, but this was one where the gratuitous content really felt gratuitous. It's like, mm. uh, this is a pointless movie. Um, you know, she's a really interesting character. Margot Robbie brings a lot to the table as an actress. Uh, I get the appeal. Um, and I think transgression always has an appeal. Uh, you know, she's saying in interviews that her character is one that defies social norms. And um, I think there's something rebellious in our heart that's that's attracted to those kind of characters. Um, but honestly, this is two hours and 20 bucks that you can you can <laughs> save and find something else to do. <laughs> so on the uh, on the backstory of a supervillain, I will admit that I have already watched the Minions Rise of Gru trailer. <laughs> I know it's not coming out until July, but I, of course, want to know what's in Gru's backstory that made him want right. to be the world's greatest supervillain. So there you go. That'll be my and what, and looking forward to July. Yeah, it, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> That's it might all I be one of the you. better things coming out this summer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do some reflections on the Super Bowl. Um, it's I, yeah. We have lived a lot since the Super Bowl. Um, oh, it this feels is, like a long time ago. Right? Isn't that crazy? So um, yeah. uh, I think that, you know, we can... Wow. I mean, do we want to go there on the halftime show? Let's start there. Let's do halftime okay. show and then let's do commercials because the commercials were at least have some redemptive uh, themes. Yes. You know, the halftime show on one hand, it's totally predictable. I mean, it's Shakira and JLo. What else are they going to do other than, you know, dance with the one who brung them? I mean, it's not like they've suddenly discovered dirty dancing in the last week. They've been doing it for a long time, both mm -hmm. of them. Um, but let's pivot on that too. I think, I believe Shakira is 43 and JLo is 50. That's from memory. So I may be off by a year or so. Um, it's old enough to begin to ask the question at what point does dancing on a stripper pole, you know, become something you look at and say, Hey, is there anything deeper that we can do here? And I think that, that what was disappointing to me, in, in addition to being just, all about sex from start to finish is this ongoing mainstreaming of pornography culture and sex mm -hmm. worker culture. And, you know, the, the Super Bowl, and we talked about this in a blog on our site, it's one of the biggest sex trafficking events of the year. Uh, and the NFL has been involved with denouncing that. And yet you get up and, and you have somebody pole dancing on stage, which 
Uh, I, I get it. You know, JLo can dance. She trained for this. And there was all this talk that she got snubbed from her stripper movie Hustlers for an Oscar Academy a, a nomination. Um, but even so, what message does this send to young men and young women? It says your sexuality is the only thing about you that matters. And if you got it, you know, flaunt it, use it. And again, we get this message of, well, this is female empowerment. And, and man, I just scratch my head and think, how do you even make that argument? So mm-hmm. I thought it was deeply disappointing. I told my kids to go do something else. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing lots of other families did too. You know, we don't want you yeah, to our strategy. This. Our strategy has become, um, we just DVR everything. We just yeah. don't watch it live. And then yep. we can, you know, when we, so we watched it like, we started watching the Super Bowl like 30 minutes late because we were anticipating the need. We thought we'd probably want to watch some of the commercials, but but not all of them. And um, and we were certain we didn't want to watch the halftime show. So that was right. our, you know, our family strategy. And so I do think parents have to think in advance about how they are going to approach things like the Super Bowl, but other events where you just know that um, the the ethic of the culture has shifted so dramatically that uh, that yes. there are many things that can no longer be consumed um, in good conscience by Christians. So let's yeah. pivot and, and, and talk about. Say, sure, go ahead. I want to say I just want to say one more thing. I think this is really important. <coughs> right after I have a coughing fit, I'll choke um, up. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that our culture has largely, uh, our mainstream culture has largely dispensed with the idea of God. But we are created and we are hardwired for an expression and an experience of transcendence. And if you throw God out, um, I read an article by Eugene Peterson a while back, and he said the three alternatives to seeking a a transcendent experience with God are sex and drugs. And the interesting third one he picked was being in a crowd, that there's something about being in a crowd that – is a transcendent experience. And and transcendent, I think, in some ways, it's it's bigger than yourself. All three of those experiences, in very different ways, allow you to experience something outside yourself and bigger than yourself. And, you know, if I'm sitting there on my third beer at the Super Bowl uh, or at home, uh, you've got the crowd, you've got sex, and you've got drugs. It sort of is the, the trifecta. Um, but I think, in addition to just talking about sexual mores, we need to be really talking about as Christians, what is the purpose and place of sexuality? Because it's being asked to carry a transcendent load that it cannot carry. Our our sexuality was never designed to carry the kind of load that when you say this is the most important thing, um, it breaks down. And I don't think it takes that much to be honest about that. But but our culture has substituted, uh, I think, sexuality in a large measure for a transcendent experience because we've tossed God out. All right. With that, you and I are going to take a break. When we come back, we will um, we'll touch on uh, a couple of the commercials from the Super Bowl that I think uh-huh. are worth talking about. And then, wow, I I just need your um, your thumbs up, thumbs down on on Taylor Swift's Miss Americana. I haven't heard anything good, so I'm wondering if you have. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I've got Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families plugged in. We'll be right back. This is amazing. Returning to my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. All right, sir, what was your uh, favorite Super Bowl ad? Remembering that this is going to reveal a lot about yourself. 
You know, I was just talking with Paul during the break, and the smart pack one made me laugh a lot. I mean, just, you know, Ben Affleck and these other actors in this commercial with Hyundai has a self-parking car that can park in very tight spots. And it just, uh, I don't, I would be curious to know if people in Boston thought it was a shout out and something that they could say bravo to, or whether they thought they were being made fun of, but, uh, but I liked it. And I think on a much deeper level, uh, New York Life Super Bowl ad for uh, – <laughs> well, you didn't even know what it was till the end because they go through the four loves, the Greek words for, for love that we know about mostly from C.S. Lewis, uh, philio, storge, uh, eros, and agape, and really spelling out the difference between these loves. And you're, you're waiting for the reveal at the end because I thought, who is – Who's using this as a marketing campaign? Uh, and and who has the Life. money, right? Like, right? <laughs> right, like exactly. it's not a church ad, <laughs> right? No, exactly. I mean, I I half expected it to be like a an ad for the Latter Day Saints. I mean, they have done things like that at times. Or Church of Scientology. Um, yeah, I mean, you sometimes see, yeah, one of know? those big, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was this really. Um, I thought it was this really beautiful grace note in the middle of. Um, Right in the middle of of the Super Bowl, and and Grace mm-hmm. notes in some ways were in short supply this time around. <laughs> All right, my favorite was uh, was what I will describe as uh, the total trolling of Baby Yoda um, in yeah. the Baby Nut ad. I that yeah, that whole series exactly. for the peanut is was my favorite. So there you go. Although, how much hate do you have to have to go after Baby Yoda? I mean. <laughs> Let's just pause and reflect of all, all the targets out there culturally. Really, we're going to pick on Baby Yoda. That feels a little bit churlish to me. Okay. <laughs> but I like the I like the Right. End. It's fun. Okay. So let's um, – my sister called me a couple of days ago and asked me if I had seen the Taylor Swift documentary Miss Americana, and I said I had not. And she began then to, uh, wow, really – share some very strong feelings, and and they were not positive. Taylor Swift does not come off uh, looking like a person any of us want to emulate in this this documentary, at least by the assessment of my one uh, film critic out there, which is my sister. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think that that is certainly um, a perspective that many people are going to share. And the more conservative you are politically— and the more you embrace Christianity, <clears throat> I think the more likely you are to come off with with that perception of her. In some ways, it felt like uh, this this documentary is an attempt to to chronicle her journey of coming out, not sexually, but politically and as somebody who thinks for herself. And so she talks about how early in her career, she just wanted to please everybody and she didn't want to do anything wrong and she didn't want to make anybody mad. She wanted to be the nice girl we all thought she was. And that as her career has unfolded, she has increasingly understood uh, the importance of, of, you know, speaking her mind on things. Now, there's two ways to look at it. I don't agree with what she has spoken her mind on almost across the board. And in some ways it feels like she's almost a progressive caricature, like Mm -hmm. whatever the prevailing progressive ideology is, Taylor Swift has pretty much embodied that completely. But I think it's also worth pointing out that anybody, especially a young star in Hollywood, um, is going to feel pressure to conform to what the expectations of those around them are. And so I think if there's value here, it's not in her message itself, but I think 
her saying, there's enormous pressure, especially on young women, to be a certain way. And so, again, I, I think it's positive. I think it's possible to sift out a positive and redemptive message here, which is you have to have the courage to be your own person. But I also think the way that Taylor has chosen to be her own person is pretty grating to anybody from a conservative or Christian perspective. And she has enormous influence, which just saddens me in that sense. All right. Anything else you think um, we need to cover today? I was going to talk with you about the celebrity exodus from social media. Um, but then yeah. as I was, um, you know, trolling my own Twitter feed uh, during this um, during this conversation, um, some of them like bounce back on from time to time. No, they so do. Ta- they do. Yeah. So talk with us about that. You know, Lizzo uh, is an artist who uh, has gotten a lot of of recognition in the last year. She's a rapper. Um, she's really talented. She also is not your normal pop star in that I'm just going to say it. She's really overweight and there's no way to say that. That doesn't just sound mean, but, um, that is true of her. And so she has especially been, uh, on the receiving end of a lot of really harsh stuff with regard to what she looks like. And so, you know, she's said enough, I'm done with this. Um, the problem is these days, if you want to be a celebrity, it's virtually impossible to opt out of social media because it's such an integral part of the promotional machine. And so, you know, they have a moment of self-righteousness, a moment of disgust, and they stomp off in a high profile huff. And, you know, a month later, six weeks later, three days later, they realize, oh, actually this is bad for my career. I really need this. Or, you know, maybe they're just really addicted to social media and realize they can't live without it, which frankly, all of us would be in that boat. If you've ever tried to quit social media after you've been engaged with it for a while, it's not easy to do. So I sort of take it with a grain of salt while recognizing, you know, the impulses to say, I'm going to stick it to the trolls and the haters by leaving. But a lot of them don't do a great job of, of making it stick. I think a social media fast every once in a while is just good discipline. So yeah, let me let me ask this. Let me ask this. Let's just say I wanted to fast from social media. Um, for me, that would mean Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, is there a way to like graciously tell people uh, I'm going away for a while? Um, maybe I may or may not be back. Um, and and then like stop the way that it just sort of constantly drives. So the next time that I open it, I don't have like a thousand messages on yeah. do you see what i'm saying like cuz that would make me cra- that would make me crazy again now if you dive deep enough into your smartphone all of them have settings on what you're notified for or not so i have turned my facebook notifications off mm-hmm. which means i miss everybody's birthdays i'm sorry all my friends i never say <laughs> happy birthday to you um okay so you, here's the reality you, i don't i'm not responding to people who wish me happy birthday on facebook anyway or LinkedIn, right. the people who are like, congratulations on your one-year anniversary. I'm like, clearly you don't know me right. well enough to know. That's not even a real notification. No, it's not. It's not. And yeah. I, I, I don't even have time for LinkedIn. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think that you have to do – you have to understand that there's going to be a short-term cost, if you will. And it's a bigger cost for anybody who is using those things as a public platform. That's actually a different mm-hmm. conversation. But I think identify who are the – two or four or six or 10 real friends and relatives that you want to stay in touch with and give them a call. 
you know? Yeah, exactly. Just, hey, let's have an old-fashioned conversation, which we don't do much anymore. So I think that would be part of the strategy, too. For the people that really matter, engage with them IRL, in real life, instead of just on social media. I love it. Uh, so, all right, take somebody to the movie tonight, an actual movie, or invite them over, make some real popcorn, watch a show with them, play a game, do something in real life, like actually have like some social, put some social in your yeah. uh, in, in your relationships. All right. In hey, your Adam media. Holtz, in your media. <laughs> oh, there you go. Hey, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, as always. You guys can find him at pluggedin.org. We'll be right back. What are you reading? What are you reading today? What are you reading this weekend? So I like to visit with uh, Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. Uh, He writes at Theolatte.com, but he shares there also this aggregated weekend worldview reader. And so he draws together a number of uh, of pieces that have been written and posted over the course of the last week that many of us would have missed, in part because, you know, frankly, we just don't read as widely um, or have the time to sort of aggregate what's uh, what's being offered on so many platforms um, today across the web. And so I like to talk with Dan about what he's reading and why he thinks these should be the things on the Weekend Worldview Reader. So we're going to talk a little bit about, about Black History. Um, we're going to talk uh, Black History Month, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, humanism. It, it should be fascinating. Also, I'm going to see if I can get him to talk about this piece on um, the what's going on in Ireland in terms of the pro-life effort and, uh, and frankly, abortion now being available there in ways that it has not in the past. So a little bit of something for everyone in this, in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader with Dan DeWitt. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. We all ask the question, am I somebody important? It's easy to feel anything but important when your ex takes your energy or old age takes your dignity somebody important hardly but remember this promise of god you were created by god in god's image for god's glory god spoke let us make human beings in our image and make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea the birds in the air the cattle and yes earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God never declared, let us make oceans in our image or birds in our likeness. The heavens above reflect the glory of God, but they are not made in the image of God, yet you are. And because God's promises are unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. This is Max Locato. Joining me now, Dr. Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. You can find everything we're talking about today at theolatte.com. Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. Good to be with you again. It's good to be with you, too. I have, like you, traveled on occasion uh, away from home only to have the event at which I was speaking canceled because of snow. So um, uh, have a wonderful snow day and just right, just enjoy it. Yeah. So let's um, let's talk a little bit about this week's Weekend Worldview Reader. Again, uh, people can find it at theolatte.com. You've got a couple of pieces there that are actually unique to, uh, to Theolatte. Tell us about those. 
Um, this last week I published an, an article called Our Bloody Bible, and um, it was really drawing attention to a secular article that highlights just really the sacrifice that was involved um, in the translation of the Bible in the 14th, 15th, and 16th century. And again, that's just isolating a small part of the Bible's history. I mean, the, the Bible is always people who love, who wrote the Bible, have copied the Bible, and have translated the Bible, have often been persecuted for the last 2,000 years all around the world. And then I also published a sermon that I preached called Mansion or Mission, which is a—my running illustration was based on the fact that my wife and I once lived in the house, mansion even— that was uh, previously owned by Hank Williams Sr. in Nashville, Tennessee. So, um, did, did you know that? <laughs> uh, well, I did not know that. So there you go. It's fascinating, yeah. right? A little fascinating <laughs> tidbits. Um, That's right. And why not live there too? Wow, not all at the same time, because that would no, be like no. one of those like Big Brother episodes, which you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's a creative writing project. Um, yeah. Let's talk about um, some of the articles that uh, that people would find um, and why, like sort of part of this conversation is why do you choose to, to put things on this list? Because sometimes there are things here um, from sources that most of us would not go seeking uh, seeking out. I'm thinking here about the humanist ceremonies piece, meaningful yeah. non-religious ceremonies that you found at humanism.org. I'm not I'm not actively reading humanism.org. Um, and so would not have seen this otherwise. But like, so talk about why that piece is here. You know, a lot of it's driven by social media. So I try and follow a pretty eclectic group of people um, on social media from friends and colleagues to also people who are kind of intellectually at the opposite and spiritually at the opposite end of the spectrum often. And so um, I like things that I see on Twitter and I go back to my likes and use those to do research for what I'll put in the Weekend Worldview Reader. And I do, you know, what I want to do with this with this weekly post is to have some things that you might not see in other places. And um, yeah, I have an eclectic, you know, kind of set of interest, and I really am interested in a number of things. So, like the the humanist ceremonies, I thought, well, that's interesting. And you know, just sometimes being curious and clicking on a couple links, and you end up um, viewing things that other people wouldn't naturally, you know, gravitate towards, but might be interested in. So that's how it ends up there. So when we think about, um, I guess when I think about the fact that everybody's going to die, not everybody's yeah. going to get married, um, but everybody's going to die. And so uh, I have been maybe paying a little closer attention to the death cafe and death doula mm -hmm. movement um, since mm -hmm. I became aware of those things, like the ways in which, um, because we have an increasing percentage of the population that never gets married and therefore never has kids, um, they don't have anyone to come alongside them as they are passing from this life to the next. And so they're hiring people to do that. Those are these death doulas. Yeah. Um, but then also, um, you know, who who or what is going to happen after they pass? Um, if they're not a part of a family of faith, which is also why they might need to hire someone to be with them, but then yeah. their life is simply going to pass into nothingness and there will be no um, celebration of it. That seems That seems particularly sad to me. Um, as a person who values the opportunity at a memorial service or funeral to acknowledge the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and and what it means to live a life eternal. So talk with us about um, when they when they talk about finding meaning or meaningful yeah. non-religious ceremonies, what kind of meaning are we talking about? 
Well, you know, I, I'm reminded of what Francis Schaeffer said, that the secular humanists have their feet firmly planted in midair, um, that they're, you know, holding on to values that they really don't have a foundation for. And so if we were to put this you know, in a philosophical category, it's existentialism. These are values that they create for themselves. They don't have to have any ground, anything outside, anything that would, you know, help warrant their belief. Um, so the, these are the kind of things that they would say matter to them because they matter to them. They don't have to matter in some real transcendent way. And we as Christians would recognize that those are no values at all. And death is a, is a great reminder. Even this last week, I heard of someone who doesn't believe in God, but lost his mother and said, I hope to see her again one day. And I think that, that often death exposes the fact that what Solomon said, that God's placed eternity in our hearts. And as much as we try to suppress that at the end of one's life, we're often we often see that they're looking for something more. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to I want to talk about the very first article on the list, which is Black History is Family History. I'm talking with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. We're talking about his weekend worldview reader, which you can find at theolatte.com. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University, you can find what we're talking about today at theolatte. Dot com. Uh, we were talking about the Weekend Worldview Reader, and I'd like to bounce to the top of the list of articles there. Black history is family history. Um, why do we need to read this as a part of our Weekend Worldview reading? Well, of course, you know, February is Black History Month, and so it's good for us to remember that the, you know, the church did not originate um, in North America, and uh, to be reminded of the universal nature of the church, and also to be reminded that it, Jesus is um, the Savior of all people, and to to care for our um, brothers and sisters in Christ who um, often have a different history than ours. And so, you know, what is often privileged is the people who are um, talking about their story, and it's good to be reminded that um, the, the white narrative is not the only narrative. And so for me as a, as a white Christian, I, you know, I want to know what, um, what is the story of the people that I go to church with? And I, I was so blessed um, for many years to go to a church that had a white pastor and a black pastor, and it was a rich blessing for us. So th this post is a reminder that when we think about um, church history, we're often driven to certain people of historical significance that matter to us for various reasons, but we need to expand that. And so we need to remember um, that God's used a number of people in various ways and to celebrate those stories. That's what this article is about. Um, for was, example, yeah, I'll, I'll throw one name out, George Lyle, who's the first American missionary um, to be sent out from America, was African-American. And a lot of people don't know that. They're drawn to stories like Adoniram Judson. But those are the kind of stories we need to care about. I was uh, I was reminded of this uh, and the the profound history related particularly to American slavery and the American slave trade. Um, I mean, strangely, uh, in an episode of um, Madam Secretary, which is a Netflix series that I, I enjoy watching, and um, and in it there was this there was this scene, and these people were in Togo, West Africa, and. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the State Department people had a little bit of a break. And so t the one African-American woman on the team invited another African-American woman who's much younger to go with her um, to the coast to one of these forts 
where um, slaves were held prior to being um, put on board ships Hmm. as a part of the slave trade. And there's this extended conversation about the place and about um, the experience. And the entire thing ends with the with the older woman basically testifying to having been raised um, in a Christian family and Hmm. and having uh, and now having the opportunity to stand on the shoulders of those who once stood where where they were standing at the time and mm-hmm. viewing um, the opportunities that she had as, you know, as a representative of the most powerful nation in the world and in a very executive position of leadership in the State Department, like she she's giving um, credence and credit to the generations that had gone before her in a way that I had never seen testimony of, certainly not in a secular show. Um, and the whole thing ends with the two of them standing in prayer um, in in one of these windows, in one of these cells. And I was I was just reminded again, we talk about black history and the and the history of this country and how awful it is um, mm. when we stand and talk with our Christian brothers and sisters today, you know, with whom we stand on absolutely equal footing in every way that I uh, that I can um, articulate and we recognize we stand on equal footing at creation and at the cross and in the kingdom, but we also mm. recognize that we live in a culture um, that privileges some and not others. And so I just think we have to be able to talk about it. We have to be able to acknowledge it and we have to be able to say there is a shared history here that people experienced in very, very different ways. And so to to argue it as a family history, I think is really helpful. Yeah, I do too. And it, this is a time, as you know, where it's really sensitive. People are not sure how to talk about these issues. Um, there are people who are critics. And if you say anything about caring and valuing diversity, people assume that you have some hidden agenda. And we just need to be reminded this is something Christians have to care about. This is not something we could ignore. And um, that's why I found this article to be really helpful, to be reminded that the church is talked about as a kingdom, as a people, as children, as family. And it is church history is the right. It's family history. So let's lift up uh, another controversial issue, and that would be abortion. You have a piece um, marked here from First Things, and it's entitled On Behalf of Ireland's Unborn. For people who aren't aware, what's going on there? Well, of course, Ireland recently made um, legal the um, abortion. And um, so the person who wrote this article is actually running for office to be elected. So John Waters is an Irish writer. He's a controversial commentator considered by the secular media simply because he stands for life. And so in this article, he kind of talks about what this issue looks like from Ireland. And one of the interesting things he points out is how in 2018, they ruled that even though um, the fetus, the baby, can experience pain, that they um, did not pass, that they the child could be given pain reliever um, some, you know, something to ease that pain in the process of the abortion, because that admits that there is actual pain being experienced in the abortive act. Mm. All right, Dan, um, is there anything else on this list that you want to personally lift up today? And then I want to ask a question about something that I see over on the right-hand side of the page, um, and that's the Standing for Truth Introduction to Apologetics book that I don't think we've ever talked about and is worthy of conversation. Mm-hmm. But I want to give you the opportunity to talk about anything else on the list before we do that if you want to. 
Well, you know, a lot of times I'll pull something and, and find something else and try and pair them together like you would perhaps with coffee and a bagel or something like that, right, to keep the coffee motif going. So I have an older, I have a video this week that is a talk at Ravi Zacharias Ministries about creation care and how Christians should see their role of stewardship of the earth. And so for the book, I pulled out a book that's older by Francis Schaeffer called Pollution and the Death of Man. So those two items are at the end of the post. All right. And then if we look over to the right hand side of the page, we're going to see Standing for Truth, an introduction to apologetics. Um, so what is apologetics? Why do we need an introduction to it? And um, and why this book? So this book is written, has multiple authors. I've written a couple chapters in it. I, I illustrated it. So I got to do some doodle art throughout. Um, but it's written for high school and middle school students. And so there are a lot of apologetics books out there, um, but we wanted to make it very accessible so that an eighth grader, ninth grader can read it and be able to think through what the Bible describes as simply giving an answer for why we believe what we believe. So I often tell people that when someone says, why do you believe that? Whatever comes out of your mouth next as a Christian is apologetics. Um, the Greek word apologia simply means a well-reasoned defense. And so that's what the book is about. Dr. Albert Muller wrote the foreword to the book. Um, there's a number of other contributors in the book. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm really excited about that resource and have had good feedback from youth workers um, that students have been able to get at the, the material that we provide. Yeah, it's that that age group is so critical. And so this resource is really valuable. Dan, thanks so much, as always, for being with us on this snow day. Thank you for the Weekend Worldview Reader. You can find it at theolatte.com. Have a great weekend, my friend. You too. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks. We'll be right back. It's always curious to me what is uh, trending on social media. And um, right now, trending on social media is closed for Friday, snow day, Friday thoughts, and then if the world is ending soon. So let's just take that one for a moment. Um, If the world is ending soon, how will you live this day? If the world is ending soon, um, how will you live in relationship to other people today? How urgent will you find the gospel? I mean, if the world is ending soon, do you have an increased sense that sharing the good news of the gospel with other people is more important? And if not, what does that say both about our love for other people, but also about our genuine belief in heaven and hell? I mean, I, I do think it's an opportunity. I mean, I realize it's a silly thing. It's a hashtag on social, social media. It's trending for all kinds of ridiculous reasons. But it is this this sort of pin in the day to say, okay, if the world is ending soon, so what? I mean, you know, so what for me? I've already, you know, got my, my glory ticket stamped and I'm going to heaven. But so what for people around me in the world who aren't, who don't know Christ, who have not been exposed to the good news of, of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, who are living with a secret sin, who are walking through life um, afraid and fearful and just simply in the dark as to the good news of the gospel. Well, so maybe hashtag if the world is ending soon, you and I could not only um, be looking up to Christ who is seated in glory and is coming again, but we could actually go forth as ambassadors into the world that he so loves with the good news of the gospel. So um, if the world is ending soon, 
then let's not only get ourselves right with God, but let's be sure we have shared the glory of his grace with others. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.